think about this more like you are hosting a three hour dinner party, right? Like with, with people that have never met each other and you're going to facilitate those connections and those conversations. And you're going to get to know people in a way that makes them feel connected to you and to the rest of the group. Hi, my name is Kara Myers and welcome to the Travel Business Lounge. Each week, I chat with women who have built incredible businesses in the travel and tourism industry. You'll hear their inspirational stories of success. We went from 2,000 a month to about 70, 72,000 a month um, in that span of, of nine years. And struggle. I wish that I could tell you that I pivoted really quickly and like jumped back on my feet and I did it. And what they learned along the way. Give yourself the grace of knowing that it's not gonna happen overnight and you're gonna make a ton of mistakes. And as long as you learn from them and move forward, that's okay. So grab a coffee, hit subscribe, and get ready to learn and feel inspired. Hey everybody, welcome back to episode eight of the Travel Business Lounge, the place where we celebrate and learn from female entrepreneurs in the travel industry. Today, I am joined by Jessica Baumgart of Delicious Denver Food Tours. Now, I don't mean to toot my own horn, but this episode is so good. Jessica's story is so inspirational and she shares tons of super practical tips on starting and running a food tour. Delicious Denver actually began as a side hustle, but quickly evolved into a highly profitable business. And despite the incredible challenges imposed on both the tourism and hospitality industries in the last year of the pandemic, Delicious Denver has achieved the seemingly impossible. In July 2021, they hosted a record-breaking number of guests on their food tours, which is just incredible. Jessica breaks down the marketing strategies she used to grow her food to her business with zero budget. She also reveals the exact pitch she uses to secure partnerships with popular local restaurants. Jessica then discusses the logistical challenges of running a food tour, some of which may come as a surprise to new business owners. And finally, she discusses the ways in which her business has grown through hiring guides and outsourcing. This is an episode you will not want to miss, so stay tuned. Just one last thing before we go, please go and join the Travel Business Lounge Facebook group. I want to grow this community of female entrepreneurs in the travel industry and have a place where women can connect and share information and share ideas. So please go and be a part of it. I think we need community nowadays more than ever, so it would mean so much to me if you all joined. But Without further ado, let's get into the episode introducing Jessica Baumgart of Delicious Denver Food Tours. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Travel Business Lounge. I am super excited today to welcome Jessica Baumgart from Delicious Denver Food Tours. This tour company has incredible reviews. I was so impressed when I first discovered it. Let's see, over 600 five-star reviews on TripAdvisor, a 4.9-star average rating on Google, uh, featured in tons of magazines and publications. I was Googling you and just page after page was different article praising delicious Denver food tours and the number one tour in Denver on TripAdvisor. So super excited to get to know delicious Denver. But first, let's get to know Jessica Baumgart. So welcome. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So do you want to just tell us a little bit about your kind of personal background, how you got 
into how you even came up with the idea of the business and then we can talk about the business itself? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a sort of meandering story. Um, my, my original background is um, marketing. I was working in marketing and communications in Chicago, um, wasn't super happy in my job, was sort of desperate to travel. Um, and so when my husband and I first got married, we quit our job, sold everything, went backpacking for a year. Um, and then fell in love with food tours, really as travelers, kind of on the other side of the business entirely, um, and started taking food tours everywhere we went. It was just our, our new way to explore a new city. On the first day of every um, new spot, we would search out a food tour. So we did food tours on almost every continent. And then we, when we came back to the States, found ourselves in Denver, loved it. I was working as a, a private chef and cooking class instructor there. When I thought, okay, why don't I just start a food tour on the side? I'll I'll just spend a couple afternoons a week. It'll be like my side gig. Um, I knew a lot of chefs around the the food industry in Denver, and it's pretty small, and people know each other. So I said, oh, well, I'll I'll spend my afternoons taking people around to my favorite restaurants and introducing them to the local food scene, and then in the evenings I'll I'll run my main business. Um, but by the third or fourth month, I was touring seven days a week. And my husband was like, I never see you anymore. And you need to hire some tour guides to help you run this business. And it just exploded from there. Wow. So that sounds like just a really organic growth of wanting to start a passion project and then it blossoming into this big business. Yeah, absolutely. If you had told me five years ago, I would be doing this. I would not have believed you. It's, but (laughs) I'm so happy. I love my business so much. And it's such a great uh, intersection of all the things that I love, travel and food. I said, when we returned from our trip, those were my passions. And so I get to you know, see travelers every day and I get to introduce them to all of our amazing local spots here in Denver. I get to pull people off the chain restaurants and the, you know, the places that you can get you know, food anywhere across the United States or across the world. And we get to support local businesses, which is amazing as well. And then I just get to hear amazing stories. I mean, I think foodies and travelers are just the best people and they've got great stories. And so, yeah, it's just, it's a great niche for me. That sounds perfect. And I completely agree. I'm, I love to travel personally, but also one of the reasons I wanted to work in travel is I wanted to be able to interact with people from all over the world. So I just always felt like I was kind of on holiday and it was such a nice, like happy medium where I could still be at home, but still get that taste of the the travel world. Yeah, absolutely. I say like, if you can't do it full time, you got to work in a space where you're still, you know, interacting with travelers and hearing those stories. And yeah, it's so much fun. Nice. Okay. Well, let's go back a little bit more to those very first days. So you have this idea of starting a food tour business, even if you thought it was going to be more of a side hustle, what were the first sort of steps you took when it was just a fresh idea to when it uh, started to become an actual business? Yeah. Uh, You know, food tours are interesting. They're so much about relationships. So they're, they're so heavy on the relationships that you have with your restaurant partners when you're bringing on new restaurants. So that was kind of step one. I identified five, six, seven restaurants Um, that were locally owned. Many of them are family owned or immigrant owned. And I said, you know, these, I really feel like are um, hidden gems. They represent the food scene in Denver really well. Um, They serve amazing food. The the stories are great. And so I just started approaching those restaurants and a lot of the restaurants had never heard of a food tour or I think didn't take me very seriously at the beginning. They were like, okay, sure. She wants to bring in people uh, to our restaurant and talk about what we do well and things like that. 
Um, so it was, it was a sell at the beginning because I didn't have any track record. Now, when I bring on a new restaurant partner, I can say, oh, you know, last month we brought 850 guests through, you know, these restaurants. And so this is the kind of business that I'm, you know, proposing to bring to you. But at the beginning, I said, I don't know how this is going to go. And this could be two guests or it could be 200 guests and we're going to see how it goes. And I was lucky that my, my restaurant partners who many of who I still work with today, four years later, trusted me and said, okay, we're willing to see how this goes. And so I established those partnerships. I built a very basic website. I mean, really just what are we doing? What is the price? You know, what can guests expect when they're coming on this experience with us um, with obviously an online booking feature. And then I put us, ourselves out there on, on all of those third-party websites. So TripAdvisor and Viator and Airbnb and all the places that, you know, people go to sort of find experiences and book. And I remember once my website went live, 48 hours later, I got a booking. I was wow. a solo female traveler. I thought it was a friend that maybe was pranking me. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't told anybody that I'm doing this. I just sort of put it out there and, you know, wanted to see how it went. And I didn't completely feel ready, but she was wonderful. And it was just me and her on the tour. And so it, you know, in the beginning, it was a lot of iteration, right? I built my script and I built my talking points. Obviously, I did a lot of research about the Denver food scene, about the restaurants we were visiting, and then about the city itself, because we do historical information on our food tours in between tasting so that guests get to kind of learn about the city along the way. But every tour, I would come home and just furiously write down, you know, 20 things that I noticed on the tour that I was like, oh, we need to change this. We need more information about this. And so I think tourism is one of those things where you just tighten, 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 because you're iterating so many different times, unless you're doing custom experiences, which we typically don't do. It was a lot of that about like perfecting the experience. And then, you know, as we grew, I got more confident and, you know, would reach out to a local food journalist and say, hey, would you like to come on the food tour and see what this is like? Um, and then the articles started, you know, coming in about the food tour, which was amazing for a small local business to have someone um, tell your story. It's kind of game changing, right? Because we don't have budgets. We're not like, you know, advertising on TV or anything like that. But yeah, it was very organic. It was step by step. I ran into a lot of roadblocks along the way and just had to figure things out, you know, sort of building the plane as you're flying it <laughs> to most small businesses. Nice. Yeah. It's, I mean, food tours are tricky as well because it's not just the content. It's not just the route. You have ac the actual food, like figuring out the pricing, figuring out the portion sizes, how you're going to fit people in a restaurant. The, the operations of the logistics of a food tour, I think, is much more complicated uh, than people realize. And if it's well done, then it's seamless. But yeah, if you could speak a little bit about how you worked that out as well in the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. That is, you're exactly right. That is the hardest part of food tourism. I think sometimes people launch food tours because they, they love food or they love travel and they forget about this piece, which it's, you know, I always tell people it's like having a hundred balls in the air and, and keeping them afloat at all times. None of it's very challenging, but it's understanding where all of your challenges are. And there's a lot more with food allergies now, uh, with restaurant logistics, staff turnover is a really big deal. So you might, you know, work with a great GM or chef that loves your food tour and holds space for you and wants to make use a custom tasting at the right price and the right portion size and all that stuff. And then that staff member leaves to open a new restaurant and all of a sudden, you know, your sort of key relationship person there has moved on. So yeah, there there are a lot of things to figure out, particularly on the operation side. You want restaurants that are going to be, you know, 
have great stories, have great food, but at the right pricing. And I, we pay for, for food tastings on our, our tours. I know a lot of food tour operators negotiate free tastings. I just find that for the first six months that might work and the restaurant might, you know, find that it's great advertising for them. And so they're willing to give those tastings away for free. But once you're in year three, four, five, you really need a relationship that's going to be win-win for everyone, for the restaurants and for the food tour operator. And then you have to figure out other ways to provide that value, right? If you're if you're using a portion of the, the client's ticket to cover those food costs, you obviously are building in an additional amount to pay yourself and to pay your guides and to cover things like commercial liability insurance and, you know, mm-hmm. alcohol liability insurance, if you're including alcohol and things like that. So there are a lot of moving pieces. I think you have to um, you have to be sort of a perfectionist. You have to be into spreadsheets. <laughs> you have to be into digital marketing. You have to be into e-commerce because so much of what happens in this business is long before you even see a guest. It's how they find you. It's how they navigate to your webpage. It's how they're interacting with your website. It's how they're booking, how you're pricing and all that. And so, yeah, I think, yeah, the things that keep me up at night are not super sexy. (laughs) Keep me up at night are like, how are we dealing with a gluten allergy on this specific route in a way that's not, you know, being too burdensome on my restaurant partners and navigating that fine line of, of pleasing all the parties involved. Have you found in the past, you've, you know, tried to establish relationship with certain restaurants and you've just realized that actually it wasn't beneficial enough for either of you or both of you? Yeah, absolutely. I had one restaurant that we partnered with early on that was tiny, this very small little spot. And it was in a great location. I love the restaurant. But as we grew, we just overtook the whole dining space, you know, and I and I realized pretty quickly, like, oh, I'm going to have to cap my business if I want to keep working with this one specific restaurant. That doesn't really make sense for my business. So so yeah, we had to part ways and find a different partner that could accommodate larger and larger groups and sort of back-to-back tours as well. So as we grew, we would you know start to run three, four tours a day, often to the same restaurants. And so I needed partners that could accommodate you know the group sizes that we had, and then also just the repetition of of multiple groups without feeling like we were just completely taking over their restaurant space and you know and cutting into their, their main business. You know, I, I think a food tour is a great supplement to a restaurant's normal business. And I think if you time it right, you have something, you know, in the mid afternoon in those downtime hours when restaurants are open and operating and staffed, but not necessarily slammed. That's kind of the sweet spot when you can get into a restaurant that's going to be really good, but you're not approaching them and saying, Hey, can I bring in 30 people at seven 30 on a Friday night? No, no, no restaurant is that that is that is worth visiting <laughs> will really be able to accommodate um, those sorts of requests. So, yeah, it's a lot of navigating each restaurant, what what we feel like they can handle and then finding. Yeah, finding the partnerships that work for both sides. Yeah, absolutely. And and what would you say is the biggest benefit of your food tours to those restaurants? Like, how are you how are you selling it to the restaurants? Is it the money? that you're providing for each of the the samples? Is it the return of customers? Is it the advertisement that, you know, customers taking pictures on those food tours? What is the primary uh, selling point? It's all of the above. Um, When I make an introduction to a new restaurant, I always lead with, 
you know, hi, I'm Jessica. I run a food tour. We pay for tastings because <laughs> I think, you know, like so many clients, you get kind of bombarded with, you know, requests from vendors or, or marketing opportunities that cost them lots of money. And particularly for, for independent family owned restaurants, they don't have a marketing budget that can really accommodate that. So I always lead with that. And that's usually the foot in the door because I think if you don't talk money up front with some of these restaurants, they just don't really have time to even speak with you. So that's kind of the, the initial in is, hi, I'd like to come in. I'd like to pay for tastings. I'd like to bring you business. And then we highlight all of the other things, the return business. We'd like to tell your story. We'd like to give you more web traffic. We'd like to link to you from our webpage. We'd like to promote you on social media. We'd like our guests to promote you on social media. So the way I focus on it is, you know, this is, this is I'm paying you to market your business, essentially. So this is the easiest, cheapest marketing um, tool that you are going to have in your, in your toolbox. And, and, you know, we want to do it in a way that's going to make it easy for you. Because if you become a burden or you change things too often, or you say you're going to bring in a group at one time and then you come an hour later or an hour earlier, you know, these are all things that, you know, negatively affect a, a restaurant partnership and can kind of, you know, lead to a restaurant saying, you know, this isn't worth us working with you anymore. I think that's brilliant. And framing it in that way, I can see how the restaurants, even in your early days when you didn't have the proof necessarily, uh, they would be convinced be convinced by that. It's very persuasive. Yeah. And I did, you know, I, again, at the beginning, I was guessing on everything. And it's funny because some of the, one of the owners that I work with now four years later said that, you know, after I left that first day, they sort of like laughed at me. <laughs> We're just like, okay, you know, sure, you're going to bring people in and this is how it's going to work. And we'll see. And so I really had to like work to prove myself for that relationship. And I have to do that for all the restaurant relationships. You know, you have to, those are our partners to us. You know, those are not like vendors or, or third party sellers or things like that. Those are true partnerships for, for any food tour. And you have to have really good warm relationships with your restaurants if you're gonna if you're gonna survive, if you're gonna last longer than just a few months or or one year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good attitude to have um, and just a way to approach it. I know you said marketing was your background. So I'm really interested to hear a bit more, you've spoken a little bit about it, but a bit more about how you have marketed your tour over the years. Yeah, absolutely. So in the beginning, when we were scrappy, we did all PR and free things. So we did a lot of social and a lot of inviting press and uh, that, you know, the PR side of that equation, for sure, because it's a lot easier to have someone on a tour for free that's going to capture nice images that might be an influencer that would write a blog piece about you or, or a journalist that would write a you know, print piece about you. And then once we grew, we started developing like an AdWords program and a digital marketing plan. Um, we started investing in memberships and and in space on third party websites like our CBB, our Convention and Visitors Bureau is a Visit Denver. They rank organically for many, many keywords relating to things to do in Denver. So they are usually the first stop online for people coming into Denver looking for fun things to do. So we've advertised with them on their platform and we've advertised um, our membership to them. So we get a lot of traffic from their website as well. And then, you know, all those third party sellers are 
little drips that fall into the sales funnel, essentially. So Viator and Airbnb and Get Your Guide and Eventbrite and um, a number of other third-party sellers are all going to take a commission uh, off of tours. Um, so obviously, you have to run those numbers and make sure that your margin can withstand um, paying that commission. But those those are all supplementary, you know, ways that we just get ourselves out there. And a lot of times, you know, it's people will see us on Viator, they'll see a review of us on TripAdvisor and navigate over to our website and book with us directly, which we always love. Nice. And is there of those third party suppliers or platforms, Mm -hmm. is there any in particular, any one that stands out above the rest or are they all kind of the same? Yeah, Viator, we do the most business with and Viator, TripAdvisor, the same same company. So our reviews sit on on TripAdvisor, but the booking platform Viator sends us a number of guests Yeah, every single day, every week, every month. So particularly in the beginning when you need to build reviews, you need to build, it's hard for SEO, right? Because they're booking through a third-party site. They're often not coming onto your website. So it's not really helping you book your, you know, build your SEO over time, but it does help you sort of get some reviews under your belt. It helps you get customers in the door, particularly in those early days when you just need to get butts in the seats. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, so many companies rely on those businesses, but as you said, they do take a commission. Do you change your price? Is your price different on Viator or TripAdvisor than what it is on your website? So it's slightly higher, but not really. But we, you know, we have a small ticketing fee that people pay when when they're going through our website, when they're booking directly with us, and we build that in on Viator. No, ideally they want you to sell, you know, at the same price, and then you eat that that commission um, when those guests come to you. So, you know, tour operators are really split on that. Some say it's a necessary evil if you want to, you know, grow your business, you need to to get your name out there. And, and sell those tickets. Others want to spend that time and energy building their own SEO, writing blog content, getting press, driving tra- that traffic directly to their website so they don't have to pay that commission. So it kind of depends on where you where you want your spend to go. Yeah. And, and you've mentioned SEO a few times. So do, is that a, another focus for your business? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just think people sometimes overthink the guests I don't know, attention span. I think people are, particularly when they're looking for something fun to do, they're searching, they're searching for, for it. You have to make it easy for people to find you online. I see a lot of tour companies have, you know, very complicated names or, or things that don't, you know, you just have to really think hard about what is the business and what do they do. And I think the easier you can make it for your guests to understand right out the gate, this is what I'm selling specifically you know, we do food tours. We don't do historical tours. We don't do brew tours. We don't do ghost tours. We don't do bus tours. I mean, we we are very niche and specific. And I think that's benefited us because we're not, we're not overcomplicating it. So yeah, I think making your website as easy to find as possible. I worked through every SEO checklist I think I can find on the internet of all the little things that are not fun, but claiming your business on all of these other platforms so that everything directs to you so that you can you know, let these big search engines know um, exactly how people can find you. And then building content on your website, which obviously takes time, but writing you know, blog posts and, and producing other content that people are going to find useful that is going to drive that traffic to your site. 
directly. And what kind of, because I imagine some people might be thinking now, you know, you're a food tour company. What are you going to write a blog about? What do you write about? When, what, how do you determine which keywords to focus on to try and get people to your website to book a food tour? Yeah, I mean, we try to think about what's going to be valuable to to guests, right? You know, what sort of information would I be looking for if I was a, a traveler coming into town and looking for something fun to do in Denver, or if I was a local thinking of something fun to do, say, for a bachelorette or for a company outing, you know, say I wanted my to go with my team and do something fun outside of the office, how would I look for ideas things that we could do in Denver. So we do a lot of keyword research, obviously, when we write those blog posts. And, you know, it's finding, I think, the intersection between what people are looking for and also what value you can provide, right? So all of our blog posts are, you know, related to things to do in Denver, restaurants in Denver. We do a lot around, you know, the best restaurants for Valentine's Day, romantic restaurants for date nights and things like that. So it's it's really finding that intersection of, you know, what can you offer? What value are you offering? And what are your, you know, what are users really looking for right now? Yeah, absolutely. And are there any specific tools you use when doing your keyword research? Yeah. So I've, at the beginning, I did it all myself and I'm like clunky about it. So now I've offloaded some of that to content marketers who kind of take care of that for me. The same with my AdWords program at the beginning, I managed that poorly, (laughs) maybe not poorly, but not, you know, it's so complicated. Digital marketing, I think is so much more complicated than people realize. I think to do it really well and to really maximize your spend, which small businesses need more than anything, right? Because you can't afford to just waste you know, your marketing spend on keywords that don't make sense. So, so those are two things that I've outsourced at this point, because I think one of the benefits of, of growing is you can kind of identify those areas. And then for me, it's, it's been an investment as well, right? Like I I can identify pieces that, you know, I might understand at a general view, like a par above view, but when it comes down to the nitty gritty, I really want somebody who's going to be an expert handling that for me. Yeah, absolutely. So how, so how far or how, how many months or years was it into the business when you started to outsource that? Yeah, so I started outsourcing some of my marketing in year three. And so for the first two years, really bootstrapped everything and did it myself. And that really coincided with how much I was spending as well, right? In the beginning, I was spending zero because I was just so afraid to spend any money. And I didn't have like investors or anything like that. You know, I, I was so trying to support myself with the business. But yeah, it wasn't until year three that I started hiring out for those things. And it's interesting because on even on the operations side, you know, I hired uh, a, an administrative assistant that was helping with a lot of these restaurant reservations and answering guest questions and those, you know, basic things that need to be done in the business. But I laid her off when we headed into COVID and I've, I've started doing that myself. So it's it's interesting to see the ebb and flow of, you know, things that have happened to the business and how how much more involved I think a lot of business owners are right now. I'm seeing some of my restaurant owners serving tables and busing tables and things like that. So I think a lot of small business owners trying to recover from COVID are a lot more involved than they were earlier on in the business. So it's hard to tell where we would be had we not, you know, obviously been fully derailed by COVID last year. But yeah, I think it depends on the person, right? I I know owner operators who guide all their their own tours and they do everything themselves. They like the control. They want to stay small. 
And then I know people on the other end who are all about scaling up, all about outsourcing those things that they don't want to do or that they don't, they're not really great at and they want to grow. So it, it, you know, I think it depends on your, what you want to do with your business and also I think your level of control. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really tough for people to relinquish that control because, you know, your business is your baby and the idea of allowing someone else to be the face of, of that business is very difficult. <laughs> yes, that is so, so difficult. The first guide I hired, poor thing, he was amazing, but I just micromanaged him into submission. You know, I remember <laughs> the first time he was, he was fully trained and he was amazing. He guided with me for three years, which in tour guiding years is an eternity. But I remember the first tour that he led himself. I met him at our first restaurant. I said, you know, do you need anything? I'm right here. Like checked in with him, checked in with him. And then I said, you know, if you need me at all, I'm going to go just sit at this coffee shop <laughs> two blocks away and I could just, you text me and I will just be there. And he was like, okay, mama, <laughs> you need to relax. Um, and of course it went well. And, um, you know, the more practice I have doing that, hiring people and outsourcing and trusting other people with parts of my business, the easier it gets. But yeah, that's the hardest part, particularly if it's supporting you, right? Like I have a baby, um, I have a husband, so my business pays for my child's health insurance and school and, you know, necessary things, you know, when it's no longer like a fun side project, when you're really living off of your business, you can get even more controlling about it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's your lifeline. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's everything. Yeah. When you first, how, so how long into the business did you hire your first tour guides? How long were you just leading tours? Literally three months in, I hired my first tour guide. Yeah. Which I was not planning on doing that, but we just, it, it just got so busy so quickly that I hired my first tour guide. And then I hired my second about eight months in. And they were amazing. I mean, my whole staff is amazing. I've been really lucky to find tour guides that are really knowledgeable, funny, great with guests. They're really good with the restaurant partners, um, which is so important, right? Obviously, with a, with a food tour, you want to serve great food. That's like a given. But your guide is such a big portion of that experience. I've gone on some great tours with some eh guides, and it colors the whole experience. And I've been on you know, some, some mediocre, you know, tours in terms of like maybe food served or routes or things like that with just amazing guides that I'm like, wow, that was so memorable. And I had such a great time. So that hiring piece is so important. And, and it's difficult because it's a, it's a personality that you're really looking for. I, yeah, I really believe that tour guides can make or break a tour. And I was a tour guide for four, four and a half years. Um, and you meet so many different personalities. But yes, I think some people have it and some people don't. And making sure, and, and that could be true for certain businesses and maybe others, they wouldn't be as good of a fit for. Uh, yeah. So making sure you find the right people who are the right fit and making sure that they're trained to fit within your brand. So if you, if you could also speak a little bit about that training process and recruitment process when you're hiring new guides. Yeah, absolutely. It's so interesting that you have tour guiding experience. I bet you're really good at it. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah, it's really difficult. I I hire for personality for sure, because like you said, you kind of either have it or you don't. I think you could train someone on your talking points. You can train someone on a route. You can train someone on historical dates and things like that. But what you can't train someone uh, to do always is to 
be really welcoming and to connect with a lot of different kinds of people that come from all over the world of every age and background and to make people feel really comfortable and connected. Our tours are a lot about that. I, I tend to think that you get a date wrong people are not going to be super upset. But if they don't feel connected and they're not having a great time with you and with the group, they're going to remember that. You know, So I really focus on getting to know our guests, asking a lot of questions and training my guides to do that, to really read the room that no group is the same and to really like find those very specific ways to, to engage with every single guest. So our training focuses a lot on, obviously there's a script and there are talking points and they need to master those, but it's you know, how to identify guests that aren't having a great time and how to turn around those experiences, you know, how to really surprise and delight people, what to do in those in-between periods, in between our tastings, when you're just walking from stop to stop. I think those are really crucial moments where you can really build a connection with a guest. You can, I mean, I hear about people's kids and their jobs and I mean, not just like what brings you to Denver and what else are you doing here, but like really getting to know people and helping to facilitate that across the group as well. When I first meet someone who's who's applying for this job, I tell them like, yes, this is a tour guide position, but you should think about this more like you're hosting a three hour dinner party, right? Like with, with people that have never met each other and you're gonna facilitate those connections and those conversations and you're gonna get to know people in a way that makes them feel connected to you and to the rest of the group, which is really like the key because I find if, if a guests have really great times, they go on after the tour together, they go out to dinner together. They like, they stay as a group, which is really, I think more memorable than just sitting and listening to someone sort of talk at you for three hours. Yeah, definitely. I love that idea of it being a three hour dinner party. Cause that's so true. That's, that's the perfect way to describe it. You want everyone to feel like they've just made a bunch of new friends, not just you, right. but everyone else on the tour. Right, exactly. And you're and with the dinner party aspect, you're you're also cognizant, you know, if you've ever hosted a dinner party, if, is food coming out on time? And oh, the next course is supposed to be served now. And does everyone have enough wine? And, you know, does everyone know what they're eating? Oh, and uh, my friend Amanda doesn't eat dairy. So I'm making sure that, you know, she has her, her um, dishes that are appropriate to her. I mean, it's very comparable. So and I also give guides a lot of opportunities to get out at the beginning when I'm like assessing a new candidate. I always say like, come on a tour first as our guest, eat and drink all the things, watch, watch your tour guide. I put them with my best guides. And I say, you know, at the end of that, if that's something you feel like you can really do, let's keep talking. And if not, that's completely fine too. We can, we can kind of part ways at that moment. And I've definitely had candidates say like, wow, that was a little more involved than I than I thought. And I'm not sure that I can sort of be on with people for three hours in that capacity. And that's completely fine. So I think it's really like weeding out people early and and not forcing, you know, somebody who maybe doesn't have that spark to continue through training and then to do several tours that don't really go well. And they're not having a fun time. You know, if you have an introverted person, this is not the job for you. You're going to be absolutely exhausted after the three hours. But most of my guides are like performers, comedians, you know, they love food, but but mostly they love like being on storytelling and being with people. Yeah, I think you can really see when someone doesn't enjoy what they do. I mean, in, in most situations, but in this job, 
it's either you know the difference between someone just relaying information or actually really trying to form some relationships with the people right. on the tour with the suppliers or with the the restaurants how they yep. interact with them is huge as well yeah absolutely i tell people like you can't fake it you've got to find the fun yourself so in in the process like find what stop you love or what tasting you love and you know really dig into that because i i agree i think guests can really feel it when the guide's not at their best. And obviously we all have bad days. People are tired or, or this is their fifth tour and they're like a little bit out of it one time. But yeah, I do think so much of it is about the guide experience and the guest experience and the guides being really set up to do well, right? Which is all that behind the scenes, balls in the air operation side that I deal with, right? It's making sure the restaurants know they're coming and that all the restaurants are happy and that invoices are paid and they're, you know, the tour guide's not dealing with a, you know, an unhappy chef or an unhappy GM or, or someone who's caught by surprise. So it's real, you know, my role at this point of the business is supporting the team so that they can really give great tours every time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you started with just the one tour, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. And then what is it, what is the business like today or how did it evolve from that? Yeah, so we we started with our downtown food tour, which is our signature tour. It runs every day at 1 p.m., seven days a week, all year long, even in the snow. Uh, those are sometimes my favorite tours. Uh, that was our first tour that we started, and it's still our most popular. From there, we launched a cocktails and taste tour. So we started looking at all, like craft cocktail bars and great mixologists, people that were just making really great drinks downtown. So we do that tour in the early evenings now. So that was my second route. And I added that, you know, with the idea that a guide could do both. If they wanted to guide two tours in a day. They could do that afternoon lunch tour and then they go, go right into evening um, with obviously our guests who are 21 and up who want to drink a little bit more on the tours. Then we expanded into another neighborhood. And that was a couple of a couple of motivations behind that. One is the neighborhood's amazing and it has great food and it has great breweries. It's it's the River North um, uh, Arts District. So it's covered in street art and murals. It's a gorgeous neighborhood to walk through and it's the brew district of Denver. So it's the highest concentration of breweries in the city, which obviously we're known for. So we started a food tour with beer pairings um, in that neighborhood. One of the reasons why we launched there too was we were just oversaturating our downtown partners right? There were just only so many tours you can bring through the same restaurants, you know, in one day until people say like, okay, this is enough. And I always want to like stop before I hit that line. And so when we started sort of selling out everything was when we, we looked at creating different routes um, and different partnerships. And then most recently during COVID, which was just my own pet project, we started a wine tour. So that's wines with food pairings as well. But that was just me wanting to highlight, you know, some of our, our great wine bars and local wineries and tasting rooms. And that was sort of like my in quarantine <laughs> project of like dreaming of maybe we'll run tours again. Let's go. What would that even look like? <laughs> but now we run that on Saturdays as well, also in the early evening. So now we have four routes and we do run tours uh, seven days a week. Okay. And what, I mean, COVID aside, and I do want to talk about COVID eventually, but what would you say is your busiest season and what kind of numbers are you doing during your busy yeah. season? Yeah. So summer is high season for us. Like most tour operators, June, July, August, we're seeing, you know, the heaviest travelers like right now, which is amazing. Um, we do see a second bump in Colorado around ski season. 
So in other places in Chicago, like Chicago, you know, where they're very quiet in the wintertime because it's really cold, we see, you know, another bump of people coming to Colorado to ski and might spend, you know, a day in Denver on the front or back end of their trips. But then we also do um, corporate tours, a lot of private tours of locals that want to get their groups together. We've done book clubs and travel clubs and uh, date nights and bachelor bachelorettes and bachelor parties and everything like that. And that happens really year round. So, um, but summer is our high season. Last month was our busiest month uh, of the business to date. This month bested last month. So we, sorry, July was our, our, our busiest month in four years, which is amazing coming out of COVID when we spent almost a year wondering if we would just ever work again. So we are really busy, but we, you know, in the summer months, we can do between, you know, 600 and 800 guests in a month um, in those June, July, August months. Wow, that's huge. And big congratulations on on reaching those numbers. And especially in the, the COVID world, it's that's absolutely amazing, really inspiring for I think everyone to hear that. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, our, our expectations were very low for this year. You know, I just said, if we can reopen and do some business, and try to move towards what we did in 2019, which was a bit, you know, a big year for us before everything kind of came to a screeching halt. That would be great for me. And so to be doing bigger numbers this summer than we did in, in the summer of 2019 was really huge. So everybody's very happy. My guests are really happy. My guides are very happy to be working again. Thank God for unemployment and and things like that, where when we were closed, our guides still made money. But you know, they're tour guides. They're such extroverts. They were dying at home. You know, we would zoom and have like happy hours and everyone's just like, when can we work again? You know, like I'm just, you know, we have like these incredibly uh, people focused guides sitting at home in their pajamas. Everyone was really desperate to like get back out there, obviously in a way that was like safe and responsible. We didn't want to jump the gun and put people at risk, but it, everybody was jonesing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I bet they're at the top of their game now that they've had a bit of a break and are eager to get back out there. Yeah, now they're now they're exhausted because after like several months of just crushing business, you know, and we weren't prepared for it. You know, our team is much smaller than it was uh, pre-COVID. So we were, I think, underprepared for the amount of business that we've been doing this summer, which I'm happy to have that complaint. You know, I'd much rather you know, be too busy and be tired and all those things than um, sitting around with not enough to do. Yeah, that's a, especially in this industry, that is a wonderful complaint or problem to have. Absolutely. I know. And all my restaurant partners say it too. Everyone's like, I haven't had a day off and everyone's short staffed, like every restaurant across the world. And, uh, you know, the people that are working are just getting crushed uh, with business. But we all say to each other when we see each other, isn't this better than last year? Isn't this better? You know, this is such a much better problem to have than sitting around with all that uncertainty. Yeah, absolutely. And and have you, yeah, to just talk a little bit more about COVID, have you had to adapt your tour logistically to, to meet COVID regulations? Because obviously it's been very difficult for this industry as a whole, but when you bring food and hygiene into the mix, I can imagine it's a whole nother kettle of fish. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were hit twice from, from the travel perspective and then from the food perspective. I think even when things started to recover and People felt maybe more comfortable going on a group tour. Again, ours are group tours guided by a, a, a real human guide. A lot of people were more comfortable doing maybe an out, outdoor walking tour 
than, you know, sitting in restaurants and eating with people. So it took a while, I think, for, for us to recover much longer than maybe other tour companies because of the, the food aspect. And yeah, at the beginning, we were really capping groups. Denver had a lot of re restrictions and regulations in place, obviously, to to control COVID outbreaks. And so our groups were very small. We were at the beginning doing only private tours, so only people within the same you know household, uh, which was tricky as well. Obviously, everyone was in masks. We had to do a lot around hand washing and hand sanitizer and face shields and masks and all those those protective gear, which you know, it was difficult. We were so excited to be back, but so much of our business is like human interaction and, and connecting with people. And it's really hard to do when you have a mask. I, I even training, I tell my guides, like you can't have sunglasses on your eyes because people need to see your eyes. They need to like look you in the eye and connect with you as a human. Um, and so this idea of like half your face being covered up um, for the entirety of the tour was different. We had to adjust uh, to a lot of outdoor tastings. So that's one thing we had to change when we were in good months and when things were early on. Now we're doing more indoors, but we had to like refocus, which was another you know ask for our restaurant partners who were already limited on the capacity that they could have inside their restaurants. But yeah, we used to take people through a kitchen on our first stop. It's a Neapolitan wood-fired pizza place. And I used to take them back and show them the flour and the dough mixer that was, you know, imported from Naples and, you know, how they assemble the pizzas. And obviously I haven't done that in, in like over a year now, which is harder, right? You have to create that story without necessarily like showing people. And as guides, we're used to like bringing people behind the scenes and all of that had to stop with the hygiene piece. So yeah, there have been a lot of adaptations. We didn't, pivot entirely. You know, other tour companies did boxes or virtual things, or I just didn't have it in me, honestly, to recreate my business from scratch. I also had a baby right before COVID hit. And so I was like at home nursing this small baby who was like crying and being like, ah, should I refocus my entire tour business to be like online or self-guided or we'll ship people boxes. And then how will that work with food? And um, I just didn't, I think I was pr probably in that group of people that just like maybe got a little depressed and was less motivated <laughs> like in my PJs watching Tiger King and like, you know, <laughs> wondering if the whole world was ending, you know? So I heard those stories of people that were like, I wrote the next great American novel during quarantine. And I'm like, how did you like brushing my teeth was an accomplishment every day. But yeah, there have been a lot of adjustments. I was definitely in the same boat as you, under the covers, watching Tiger King, a bit depressed and worried. Yes. I, I was like amazed at people like who lost weight or like got into an exercise or like developed a new hobby. I was like, I don't, I don't know you. We're not having the same pandemic experience. <laughs> Um, besides the, you know, gigantic challenge of COVID, what would you say are some, if any, of the other bigger challenges that you've faced over the years of building your business? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think with building a, a small business, you don't know what you don't know. And I think one of the mistakes people make is they wait until they have it all figured out before moving forward. And you just never will. Um, because I think launching something small, you're the CEO and the janitor and everyone in between, right? You have to do all those roles. Um, and you're just, it's not realistic that you will know how to do all those roles. So um, in the beginning, we ran into a trademark issue with our first name. 
Um, I didn't hire a lawyer and do a federal trademark search. I didn't even know that you were supposed to do that. I found a domain that was available and I bought it and I like just launched and started working under a different name. And a company in another state um, said, hey, we've trademarked you know, part of this name and you're probably fine, but years down the road, we could take your name from you, especially essentially, um, which I was just like, oh, hi, that's a, that was a challenge I wasn't expecting. Um, so I had to hire a lawyer and, and change my name and rebrand and file a trademark, which with the marketing, I didn't know anything about trademarks or like intellectual property or things like that. So that was a roadblock that I ran into. And I did a lot of like frantic Googling of how does this work? But yeah, there have been little, that was probably the biggest one. And I thought my business was going to be over. I've had competitors enter the market. And every time a new competitor opens up, I think my business is going to end. And it's like my last tour that I'll ever run, you know, and then I go to bed and eat a banana and feel better the next day. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there are, there are lots of little challenges like that. There have been staffing challenges. There have been restaurant challenges. Um, so much, you know, staff changing over and having to like reintroduce ourselves and rebuild those relationships or yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. And then of course, tricky guests, right? Guests who have expectations that don't align with, with us and diffusing situations. And, um, when we reopened, we had a few guests that were really not into wearing masks and that was a whole thing. And I just, you know, my tour guides were like part storytellers, part bouncers, which was just like a difficult position, you know, for them to be in and not one that I ever expected uh, to have to, to deal with in our business. But I think the big thing is you just deal with things as they come up, you know, and you, you use your network and you ask a lot of questions and you find people that are farther along than you. And you don't freak out when you hit those walls, because that's an expected part of running a small business. And, and to go into it thinking that you will, you know, have everything figured out is just a little naive. So yeah, I just think you you have to take it step by step and um, and be willing to to adjust and figure stuff out as you go. Well, I think that's really really great advice to to probably end on. And I mean, I appreciate this conversation so much. I've enjoyed it so much. It's so fascinating to hear how you've built this business. And really, yeah, it's, you said four years old. It started in yeah twenty seventeen. Yeah, that's incredible. Absolutely phenomenal. Well, if people want to learn more about you or if they want to take one of your food tours, uh, where is the best place for them to find you? Yeah, they can find us online at deliciousdenverfoodtours.com. We're on Facebook and Instagram and all the things. Uh, but deliciousdenverfoodtours.com is the best place to find information and book tours with us. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you very much, Jessica. And yeah, I hope I can join you on a food tour in the near future. Yeah. Anytime you're welcome. Thanks so much. Thank you.